as the choir is making their way down and before we move into our sermon this morning, there are just a few announcements that I wish to bring to your attention. Um, hopefully, these are these should be in chronological order, not necessarily in order of importance. Uh, I want to remind you that today at 3 o'clock, right here in the worship center, we will be having uh, the first meeting of, of hopefully many in which we gather to begin to think and vision about the best ways we can leverage the resources we have to serve the community around us, uh, in particular thinking about the possibility of what might it look like for us to start um, an early education center as well as a K-12 through school. So that will be today at 3 o'clock. I do want to remind you that at 6 o'clock we'll be gathering for evening worship. I pray that you would be here uh, for that as well. Um, we, I was planning on having those sermons reflect our readings that we're going through as well, but some folks have asked um, that uh, we work our way through Baptist faith and message in particular because there are, um, we are contemplating moving from one version to another and our bylaws changes and to look at those and think through those. Um, think through what those changes mean and just look at our confession and what is it that we confess that we believe. And so I'd ask and hope that you would be here tonight as we go through that. Um, next Sunday, January the 29th, is a fifth Sunday. Um, as such, um, we um, uh, this year we're going to do a thing uh, in which on fifth Sundays we do not gather in our individual Sunday school classes. Rather, we gather for a time of fellowship at 10 o'clock in the fellowship hall. Um, and so we'll have a time of fellowship, but also a short devotion uh, to go with that. On February the 12th, that is a Sunday, immediately following service, will be our Valentine's luncheon. For many years, y'all know that we have done had a Valentine's banquet. Um, and uh, and it, it started out as something uh, mainly for those who did not have their Valentine with them any longer. Um, and has grown and grown and grown over the years to sort of include everybody. Um, so this year the deacon said, why not we just say we're going to include everybody, make it a luncheon, and, and have everybody here on February the 12th. I would ask that you call the church office and put your name on the list just so that we have some idea how many folks to make spaghetti sauce for. Uh, finally, February the 18th. I think I have saved the best for last because it involves pancakes. On February the 18th, the Brotherhood Pancake Breakfast will um, come. Uh, I, uh, the last time we tried to have one, it was scheduled for March the 18th. Of, no, excuse me, March the 28th, I believe, of uh, 2020. And a little thing called COVID got in the way, and we didn't have that. So if you still have outstanding tickets from 2020, those will be honored. Um, if you don't have outstanding tickets, you can see... Uh, Henry or any member of the Brotherhood and get a ticket for $8. It's $8 a plate, all you can eat in person. One, a limit of one plate, whatever you can put fit on the plate to go. Um, and that will be running from 8 to 11 on February the 18th. It is nice for us to have lots of things going on in the life of the church again. I think the last time we did, it was the beginning of 2020, and it feels like things are starting to pick back up which I am thankful, because when I don't have things to do, I get myself in trouble. So having things to do is wonderful. We are going to be in the Gospel of Mark today, 
So if you want to go ahead and start moving, uh, turning over to Mark uh, chapter 15. If you don't have a copy, your copy of Scripture with you, um, it'll be page 904 in the black hardback Bibles in front of you. Let me encourage you that if you don't have a copy of Scripture to call your very own, feel free to take one of those with you. It is our gift to you this morning. We are in Mark because we are in these first 90 days of the year, we are working our way through the entirety of the New Testament. And so this week, our readings were in um, Mark. And, And Mark is such a short book. There's only about one more day of reading worth in Mark, and then we're on into Luke. Mark is short, sweet, and to the point. (coughs) One of my um, favorite traits of the Gospel of Mark is Mark doesn't waste any words. So we are going to be in Mark chapter 15. We're going to be starting with verse 6. Will you stand with me as we read God's Word together? At the festival, meaning the festival of Passover, at the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. And Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew that it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him, meaning Jesus, over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that they would, he would release Barabbas to them instead. And Pilate asked them, then, on, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. And Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flog, he handed him over to be crucified. This is the word of God. Read it, believe it, and live it. Let's pray. Dear precious Father, Gracious Father, Holy Father, I pray that we would have the discernment to make choices for the real thing, not for the counterfeit. I pray that we would not be people who would abdicate our responsibility. I pray that we would be people who would own our decisions and make the right one. So God, as we open your word and as we study it this morning, my prayer is that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable and pleasing to you, our God and our King. Amen. To be seated. Sort of a, a strange passage to jump into, as you may have noticed when I had to define who we were talking about even. We are in the midst of Jesus' trial under Pilate. In fact, the end of Jesus' trial under Pilate before he is to be taken to be executed. Jesus has already been seen by the Sanhedrin, the gathering of the Jewish leaders and religious rulers, and the Sanhedrin has condemned him. 
and then turned him over to Pilate. And so we have to ask ourselves as we back up and as we look at this and understand what's going on in the context here, we have to ask ourselves, why? Why did they turn him over to Pilate? Why didn't they just take care of it themselves? Well, it's important for us to remember that at the time, the empire of Rome occupies Jerusalem, occupies the the province of Judea. And in fact, the, the Jewish leadership don't have the legal authority to carry out and execution themselves. And so they have to turn Jesus over to Pilate in order to see that happening. But there's an added benefit here. Because if we will remember just a few brief days before, as Jesus had come into Jerusalem, we saw the crowds come out in favor of Jesus. Right? To, to welcome him. Jesus is a popular figure. And if you want to get rid of a popular figure, it can be a little tricky, right? Because people could get mad at you. And so the added benefit here on the part of the Sanhedrin is, look, we've got this guy that we don't like, but who's incredibly popular. And we've got these other folks that actually have the legal authority to do what we're asking, but we don't particularly like them. And so maybe if we ask them to do the dirty work, the people won't get mad. If they get mad, they won't get mad with us. They'll get mad with the other guy. So they turn Jesus over to Pilate. Now here's the interesting situation, though, right? Does Roman law care about the religious declarations of some man from Galilee? No. In fact, Rome was known for being very tolerant of other religions, at least until we get to Christianity. Rome didn't care. Rome allowed people... to to manage their own local affairs. They had discovered that that was the best way because Rome didn't need, I feel, a need to to rule every conquered people with an iron fist. What Rome wanted was taxes and manpower for the army. And as long as they got those two things, do whatever you want. As long as you send to Rome money and men. Worship how you want, do what you want, say what you want. Just don't interfere with those two things. And so Pilate is in a situation where what law has this Galilean broken? Just before we get to the passage that we read today, we see this, it's almost too much to call it an exchange, But, for lack of a better word, the exchange between Pilate and Jesus. In which Pilate attempts to get Jesus to speak in his own defense. And Jesus stays silent. What's interesting is the Gospels agree that Jesus doesn't speak in his defense. 
Luke has it in which he says a little bit more than what he says in the other three. But for the most part, the Gospels agree that Jesus doesn't speak in his own defense and interestingly never tell us in the Gospels why. He just stays silent. And so that's where we come when we pick this story up here in verse 6. Pilate has had this exchange with Jesus, and the last word that we have in verse 5 is that Pilate was amazed. Pilate wants an out. He wants to be able to set Jesus free. And so he comes to this potential plan. There's this thing I do every year at Passover where I let a prisoner go free. And I know, because I'm the governor of the province and I live here in Jerusalem, I know that just four days ago, the crowds loved this guy. And so if I hold him up and if I give him a choice between this guy or a murderer, they're going to pick this guy and I'm out. I'm off the hook. I don't have to make a decision. I'll let somebody else make the decision for me. What's interesting is all four Gospels agree that, G, that Pilate offered up this choice of Jesus the Christ or Barabbas. Secular scholars will tell you that if you want to know what actually really happened in the Gospels, you have to find more than one version of it. So secular scholars will say, well, we can only, we can only attest to the historicity, the, the fact that something happened historically if two or more of the Gospels agreed on it. Now, you and I know that that's not a good standard, but, but using their standards for is a bar that almost no other story in the gospel can co- cover, can cross. Because when Matthew, Mark, and Luke agree on something, John often leaves it out. But even John includes this story. And the interesting thing is, is the fact that there is nowhere else in ancient writings that says that this was a thing. Josephus doesn't talk about it. None of the ancient historians talk about it. But we know that it was. And so Pilate offers this up, this choice. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make it very clear that Pilate offers this choice because he knows there is no good reason to execute Jesus. Pilate knows there is no reason to have him crucified that he's broken no law of Rome. And so he offers this choice. As we move through, I want us to look at at three characters in the story. We're going to look at Pilate, we're going to look at Barabbas, and then we're going to look at the crowd. Because in the Gospels, and, and, and especially in Mark, the crowd is its own character. So we're going to look at Pilate, we're going to look at Barabbas, we're going to look 
at the crowd. So who is Pilate? Well, as I've mentioned already, he is the Roman governor. He's he's Rome's man in Judea. He's running the show. But what Scripture doesn't make totally clear, but we do know from writers like Josephus and others, is that Pilate is incredibly unpopular. We We saw here in which they talk about that there has just been a rebellion, right? Because that's why Barabbas and his cohorts are in in jail. There in verse 7, there was one named Barabbas who was in prison with with rebels who who had committed murder during the rebellion. Now, we're not entirely sure what rebellion this is, but um, Mark felt sure enough that his readers would know that he included that definite article, the... He's thinking about one in particular. Now, what we do know from Josephus is around this time that there is a massive riot that happens because Pilate wants to build an aqueduct. And the people don't like the plan. Now, whether or not that is the rebellion that Barabbas is arrested for being a part of, we don't know. But what we do know is that Pilate is now finding himself in this very tricky situation in which he's trying to balance <coughs> excuse me, the needs of his masters in Rome with the people that he's been sent to govern who don't want to be governed. Many people, once they were conquered and in the Roman Empire, were fine with it. You mean I get roads, a standing army, peace, Economic prosperity, access to uh, Roman trade, sure, sign us up. Oh, and it's only going to cost us some, some taxes and some men? Great. Where's the dotted line? But the Jewish people weren't like that. The Jewish people, because they knew that they had been empowered by God to rule over themselves, they had no interest in being ruled by Rome. And so Pilate is in this uncomfortable situation in which he's trying to maintain control. And what's going on right now? Passover. This is when Jerusalem is at its biggest. So many people have come into the city. So many people have come into the city. There's probably not enough places for them to stay. There's honestly probably not enough food in the city to feed them all. It becomes a situation that it would be very easy for something to set them off. So Pilate doesn't want that. He wants the crowd placated. He wants them happy. And into that situation, here comes this Nazarene, Nazarite, Galilean, one from Nazareth. Jesus, brought to him by the Sanhedrin, Pilate probably doesn't really get it. He probably doesn't really understand claims of Messiahhood. He doesn't understand the role that the the Messiah and the Davidic throne plays in in the cultural imagination of the people. What he knows is the religious leaders that he's got to keep on his side have brought to him a man who by all accounts is incredibly popular and asked him to kill him. 
Now, I want you to just stop for a minute, and I want you to put yourself in Pilate's position. What do you do? What choice do you make? Pilate didn't know either. So he did the thing that many of us do, which we think is the easy thing but never is. He deferred the choice to somebody else. He said, oh, I'm not going to make the choice. I'm going to let them make the choice. And then my hands will be clean. In fact, actually in Luke, we get the story of him washing his hands of the situation. No, excuse me, Matthew. Matthew, he washes his hands. He tries to defer responsibility onto the crowd. He says, I'm not going to choose. I'm going to make you choose. But he doesn't really get himself an out, does he? No matter what the choice is, he's still going to have to own it. So he doesn't want the responsibility. He tries to shove it off, but he doesn't actually get rid of it. He ends up, in fact, just looking weak. looking like a man without conviction, looking like a, a man without character. How often do we think that we can just wash our hands of something or, or give in to the pressure around us? Scripture is clear. Pilate knows there is no justifiable reason for crucifying Jesus. Pilate, he's not hoodwinked, he's not lied to, he's not convinced on the merits of an argument even though that he ended up being wrong. No, Pilate knows from the beginning that what the Sanhedrin is asking of him is wrong. He knows that it is wrong. Here in Mark he says, for he, Pilate, knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. Not because of any crime or sin, but because of envy, sin on the part of Jesus. You know, I'm sure Pilate's justification here is, I'm just trying to stop a riot. I'm just, you know what I'll do? I'll let one innocent man die so that we can stop a riot that might kill dozens or more. Pilate asked to not be responsible. But it's not what he got. We have Pilate. Let's look at Barabbas. Who is, who is Barabbas? Well, Barabbas is one of those names that we see a lot in Scripture that has a meaning. And it means, it can mean either son of, son of a father, which is, you know, super descriptive, or more than likely what it means is son of a teacher or son of a rabbi, because what we see at this point is we see teachers being called Abba, called father. And so, so Barabbas is son of a teacher, more than likely, but, but that's not a given name. That's not what his mama called him when he was born. It's almost a, a surname. 
idea. Matthew tells us what his first name is. Barabbas' first name is Jesus. Now for us, that seems, what do you mean his name was Jesus? Unless you are Hispanic, most of us don't go around naming our children Jesus anymore, do we? And in fact, when was the last time you, you saw a good Jewish mama name her son Jesus? Not since about the year 33 A.D. But it was a very common name. We don't think of it as a common name, right? Because we attach it to the singular person, the Savior, the Son in the flesh, the Word incarnate. But it's a fairly common name in the first century. And so now we have the story of two Jesuses. Jesus, the Son of a teacher, or Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus, the son of a teacher, or Jesus Christ, Jesus the anointed, Jesus the consecrated, the Jesus who, in fact, is himself a teacher. And so we can compare and contrast these two Jesus, Jesus Barabbas on the one hand and Jesus Christ on the other. Jesus Barabbas is guilty. There is no doubt in Scripture that Jesus Barabbas is guilty of the crime for which he is accused. Jesus the Christ is innocent. Jesus the Barabbas is a murderer. He's a life taker. Jesus the Christ is a life giver. Jesus the Barabbas is a would-be rebel who would take Rome off of the power and put someone else on to the throne. Jesus the Christ is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Jesus the Barabbas is a pale imitation of a deliverer of the people. Jesus the Christ is the real thing. And so the people get the fake because the real thing was too expensive. Asking for Jesus Barabbas is easy. They know what they're going to get and they know what it's going to cost them. They're going to get nothing and it cost them nothing. But if they ask for Jesus the Christ, he's already told them cost them everything. And so Jesus the Christ, the innocent, dies in the place of Jesus the Barabbas, the guilty. Which brings us to this third character, the crowd. You know, interestingly, the crowd is the one who has the power here. Why are the Sanhedrin and the chief priest envious of Jesus because they, he has the crowds. Why is Pilate scared of the situation so much that he's willing to, to turn over the decision-making because he's scared of the crowds? Why is it Jesus Barabbas who is released and not Jesus the crowd? Because of the crowds. Interestingly, in this story, the temporal power and authority the worldly power and authority rests not 
with Pilate or Barabbas or the chief priests, but with the crowds. And so, as I said just a moment ago, the crowd gets what they ask for. They get the pale imitation of the real thing. But they do get what they think they want. There in verse 13, it says, wanting to satisfy the crowd. Pilate released Barabbas to them. Wanting to satisfy the crowd. Do you think when Barabbas was released, the crowd was satiated? Were they satisfied? Were they full? Think about it. When you, when you go to eat something, you can get a Chips Ahoy cookie out of the container. Or you can have a real homemade chocolate chip cookie. Of those two, which leaves you more satisfied? The real thing, right? It's why, it's why when you open Chips Ahoy, they're like half the package is gone the first time you open them. Because they're not real. It's, it's fake. It's fake food. But, but, but the real chocolate chip cookie, have you ever had a real chocolate chip cookie? Seriously, only one or two will leave you satisfied. Go to the store, buy cheap chocolate. May my Pennsylvania family forgive me. Go to the store and buy a Hershey bar. Then go to a chocolatier and buy a real chocolate truffle. You'll eat up that whole Hershey bar. But you'll only need one of the real thing. Because realness satisfies. Fake leaves us hungry. Fake leaves us wanting more. Fake leaves us empty. So the crowd gets what they think they want. Pilate gets what he thinks he wants. He thinks the crowd is satisfied. Barabbas gets what he thinks he wants to be free. None of them are satisfied. Brothers and sisters, how often do we choose the pale imitation of Christ instead of the real thing? How often do we choose the cleaned up, glowing Sunday school picture version of Jesus? Instead of the real King of kings and Lord of lords. We need to be careful what we ask for because we just might get it. Now, when you're a kid, the best thing in the world is the Oreo, right? When you're a kid, that homemade, wonky-looking 
chocolate chip cookie doesn't hold a candle to the Oreo. Because in immaturity, we don't know what the real thing is. It's only when we mature that we can identify the real deal. And so often in our immaturity, we choose the fake over the real. When y'all were teenagers, how many of you chose to date that boy or girl that everybody who was older than you told you was a mistake? Everybody who was older than you told you, honey, he's a fake. He's not the real thing. But then how many of you, when you were older and wiser, were able to choose real love that satisfies you? I'm looking around. I know some of your stories. I I know you've done it because I've heard it from you. There is a pale imitation of Jesus out there that, that isn't about growing and maturing in our faith. There's this pale imitation of Jesus that's just this veneer that we can paste over all of the things that we already want, all of the things that we already like. There's this, there's this pale imitation of Jesus that that we say, well, we'll go to, and he's going to give me everything I want, he's going to make me happy, and he's going to satisfy everything, and he's going to do everything. But nothing inside ever changes. Just instead of going to, to somebody else to try and get what we want, we just start going to Jesus to get what we want, but what we want doesn't change because, because Jesus isn't inside of us. He hasn't regenerated us. He hasn't changed our hearts and our desires. Brothers and sisters, don't fall for the fake imitation. Don't fall for the glitz and the glam. Don't fall for the easy, cheap gospel. False gospel. The real gospel is costly. The real gospel will cost you your lives. The real gospel will cause you to pick up a cross and follow it. A real gospel might cause you to turn your back on your friends and your family to chase after Jesus. The real gospel costs. But the real gospel satisfies. The real gospel saves. The real gospel real gospel is knowing that even though we want the easy way out, the real gospel is knowing even though that we think we've won because Jesus is headed to the cross, the real gospel knows that we win only because Jesus did go to the cross. The real gospel knows that the innocent blood has been shed for the guilty. real gospel fills and completes. It doesn't paper over. 
The real gospel doesn't say, I'm great when you're not. The real gospel doesn't lie. The real gospel doesn't fake it till you make it. And I get it. Let me tell you, I walk every day, every time I go to the grocery store. It's, it's somebody who does the shelves in Food Lion hates me. Because the Oreos are the last thing on the cookie aisle. Even if I don't walk by the cookie aisle, the way it's staggered, I see the Oreos every time. And let me tell you, I get it. It's so easy and quick to grab the fake thing and throw it in your basket. But in the end, all you're going to end up with is fatter, hymn of invitation is going to be hymn number 